Tasting Anarchy, your wine and liberty podcast. Join Mason and Jake each week as they try new wines and discover how much government is in your drink. Welcome to another fantastic episode of Tasting Anarchy. I'm your host, Jacob Lindsay, and as always, I'm joined by... Mason Joseph. Man, you're and, like coming in hot. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> Maybe it's the Kratom. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Like, uh, I'm, yeah. I'm exhausted and, you know, falling down like an idiot because I'm jumping on things. <laughs> and you're like, I'm jazzed. And I'm like... Yeah. I'm soggy drunk, so let's Well, you know it. what? I, I actually, I had that entire bottle of Pinot Grigio that you picked out that we're going to review this week, and then I started I on this Beaujolais. bottle of Pinot Grigio yeah. and one of those 10% triple IPAs. That- yeah, that's that's quite a bit because I, I, start, I started in on a uh, on a Beaujolais as my second one that was on sale at Kroger. Um, oh, but man. Yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's, it's uh, not bad, but the... The Pinot Grigio, I think you and I, we texted back and forth a little bit about it earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, so, well, let's just get it, let's just get into this. This is the third installment of our Kroger Wine uh, Pinot Grigio series. So for everybody who's listening and has been listening for a while, uh, we decided that we're going to do this kind of series on wine that is is generally more accessible for people who don't go to a wine specialty store and, and just get wine at the grocery store. Mm-hmm. which is, is a fine place to get it. Most grocery stores have a decent selection. Kroger has a, a particularly good selection um, for, what would you say, mid-level maybe, mid-level wine? Um, Actually, they don't have a bad selection of higher market value wine. Okay. Um, it's just we never buy it. But like I guess that's true. The Kroger Marketplace, like they do have some pretty expensive bottles and they're not bad bottles. Like I, I've not had any of them, but you know, it's like one of those ones you look at it and you're like, yeah, that you know has some very specific DOC labels and some French label. You know, it, it's a you can tell. Like, well, I mean, you and I could tell probably. And sure. uh, Jackson Blood probably be like, you guys are idiots, but <laughs> probably. probably. But he's fancier than us. So. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I miss him very much. Um, but yeah, I've, I've spoken with him a little bit on Instagram. Oh, thank you. He's, he's doing, uh, he's doing well. He's out of the country right now. And hopefully when he comes back on, we'll, we'll be, or when he comes back to a place where it's easy for him to make, uh, I guess phone calls, uh, we'll, we'll have him back on. I, he's interested. So where in the world is he that he can't make use the internet? I, I, um, yeah, I, I, you know, honestly, I, I don't know. I, 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 I floated it out to him and he said he was interested, but we'll, we'll see, yeah. <laughs> we'll see what happens, but kind of back to the Pinot Grigio, mm-hmm. uh, this, the series is about what can everybody else get. And, and I think you pointed out one big mistake that we made in the series is that we didn't tell everybody what we're drinking ahead of time. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I, I think what we'll do then for the next series or the next series and we're sticking with Kroger, but we're going to try a different grape. Mm-hmm. Um, I would like to, because you kind of picked Pinot Grigio. Actually, I'm on Pinot Grigio. Oh, did I? Okay. <laughs> you just told me, Hey, get a Pinot Grigio. We're going to do this series. I was like, okay. It's well, like, I'm no, on, I'm on kind of like, a, <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of on like a Sauvignon Blanc kick mm-hmm. right now. I've been drinking a lot of Sauv Blanc and, uh, which is weird because it's turned cooler here in Texas. And um, I don't think you know usually, what the meaning of cool is anymore. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean it's in the sixties. So, <laughs> but yeah, uh, actually, actually, last actually, yeah. Well, and actually, today was was almost ninety. So, um, yeah, I, I went and jumped in the pool for a little while. All the pool water was very cold, but it felt nice to jump in the in the water and 
Then I jumped out and jumped in the hot tub for a little while. Um, and then came and did some software development because that's my job. But, uh, so anyways, we're on, so I think what we're going to do is next episode is our last Kroger Pinot Grigio. Yeah. But I think we're going to post on Twitter. Um, yes. Whatever we pick out. Yeah. Um, I think that they will try that. And then I, what I would like to do is try to, um, see what Sauvignon Blancs are available at, mm-hmm. uh, at Kroger. And then post all four in advance. Uh, even if we don't buy all four in advance, I'd like to try to post them. So it gives. I, I, I think we're going to have to buy them in advance, just okay. in case. Because um, I don't. I've got. I've got at least one picked out because there's one that's about eight bucks that I've been getting that I think is exceptional. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's New Zealand and um, got a really cool label. I've already reviewed it once on the show. Hmm, yeah, and, I think I know which one you're talking about. Yeah, I think you do, yeah. And um, it's it's inexpensive. I think it's very good for the price point, and um, they've never been out of it. So I'd like to do that one first. But I think that they've got – with Pinot Grigio, this, this may just be like a difference in like years in my interest when it comes to like uh, investigating wines. I almost feel like I know a little bit more about Sauvignon Blanc than Pinot Grigio. Mm-hmm. And I think it's no, just because I a Pinot Grigio at the beginning of this show. Yeah, yeah, I know. Even though we did that, but I mm-hmm. think it's because so if we actually go way back in the time machine, I went to a wine festival with Nate and uh, Aquamat, and I think we, I think you were actually in California at the time. I think so. Yeah, we went to this thing, and it was a wine tasting, and I was kind of already of the opinion I don't like wine, and we went from table to table tasting these little wine, these wines from Virginia. Mm-hmm. And I, I have my notes from it from way back then. And I liked Sauvignon Blanc and I like Cabernet Sauvignon. And that was it. Yeah. I mean, you have, you have like, I tried Sauvignon Blanc uh, the first time because you specifically pointed it out. And I, I agree with you. And I think like, this is maybe, like kind of this will lead into our review of the wine that we have today. Mm-hmm. I think Sauvignon Blanc has more easier to identify flavors in it. Yes, um, I agree. Personally. Um, and I also think, and again, this might be the limitation of the Kroger series wine. So, you know, those of you who are probably better than us in wine, don't be shouting like lunatics at us. I, I get it. Like, this isn't like these Pinot Grigios have been like, I think this one was exceptionally good compared to the other two that we did. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, I think the Pinot Grigios that I did at the beginning of the series were better or more flavorful. And I, yeah. I think the price point that I was buying at was a little higher. And like when we went into the, you know, I went into the store, I picked this one um, that we're going to review. Like I was trying to find a French, New Zealand, or Australian, or like an African, like South African, like something that wasn't Western United States mm-hmm. or Italy, mm-hmm. and it was impossible. I was like, okay, this one's from Monterey. Hopefully, it's actually from Monterey because that was the other one I was thinking about getting. Gnarly Heads uh, one, yeah, but it, it was listed as Lodi. But I was like. 
I don't think this was grown in Lodi. If I could know it for sure it was grown in Lodi, I would almost insist that be our last one because Lodi is such a different weather environment. It is. And, 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 and also I think, Oregon or Italy, yeah. any of those. And I think for you and me too, like Lodi is just an important place. And I think it's just because of our early, our early wine introductions. We had Freak Show and then we've had other stuff from Lodi too. And I don't know if you feel this way, but whenever I see something from a Lodi, I always go, oh, ooh, Lodi, like, let me try that. Um, yeah, usually I, it's a it's a good price and it's very unusual, or, or well, I would say unusual, but it's distinct. Well, that's the thing is your wife's from you're you're from the central, like the northern Central Valley, just maybe outside of the Central Valley. My wife is from the Central Valley. Lodi's not that far away from Stockton, um, so when I see and I've I've been the Lodi. Um, there's also the uh, Creedence Clearwater Revival song. Which yep, is, stuck, uh, stuck in Lodi again. Yeah, stuck in Lodi again, like is a big uh, thing in like kind of musically for me. So yeah, I mean like that's kind of a big thing for me. So yeah, like anytime I see Lodi, like I'm usually pretty, pretty pick, I pick Lodi out. Plus Lodi Zin is very good. Awesome. And yeah, but like, I think that's a, one of those things is it's kind of off the rails. Like it's yeah. super strong, like, so I think that's one of those things about like Lodi Zen. And I think that's one of the problems we've been having with these Grigios is like, they're not one way or the other. You know what I mean? Like it's not. Yeah. They're kind of just, yeah. I mean, the thing is like none of the ones we've had, I thought were bad and, and including this one, I don't think is, is bad either. And for the price point is, is good for the price point and especially paired with the correct food. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just not been a, it's just not wowed me like some of the other whites that I've been drinking lately. Cause I've been on a, on a white wine kick for the, for the last two or three weeks, I think. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, there's been some Sauv Blancs that have kind of wowed me or, well, I, wowed me is not the right word. I thought they were distinct and distinguished. And then also I had a Chardonnay that I thought was, uh, you know, it, it's one of those things. It's, it's not done in the American style. It's done in the unoaked style. And I was just like, oh, this is actually – I appreciate this. I, I don't really like oak Chardonnay very much. It's too buttery and rich. But <laughs> much I, I really love butter. So normally, yeah. like, you would think that would be something I really like. But I was going to say the Church Creek by Chantham Vineyards, the yeah. uh, Eastern Shore Winery, their unoaked steel fermented Chardonnay. Uh-huh. Very tasty, very different. Like the their oaked one, like their twenty because like that the winery they had the twenty nineteen stainless steel, but they had the twenty eighteen oaked, and like the oaked was like a classic Chardonnay. Okay, like this is boring. The steel fermented one, I almost got a bottle of it. I almost got like you and I a bottle of it, and was kind of like, huh? How do I get this to him? Is is this worth it? And yeah, yeah. Like I don't think it would have been like ultimately just because of the 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 price point was a little higher than probably either you or I really would want to spend on Chardonnay, but not in a bad way. Like it is quality for what it was, but not for like if you and I were sharing a bottle and it was just you were at my house, it's like yeah, that would have been worth going over there just to do it. Um, but not sending a, you know all the work you have to do to send somebody a bottle of wine. Well, speaking of work, sending bottles of wine, 
I've actually got a couple that I'm going to send to you probably in the next, <laughs> uh, in the next, um, I've got a cab franc from uh, mm-hmm. Lake County, which is next to uh, Napa or, or mm-hmm. near Napa. I don't think it's I don't think it's directly bordering. I could be mistaken though. And um, I've got uh, I'm trying to think of what else I've got. I think I've got so I've got this cab franc that I wanted to send you that I thought was particularly good, but it was from Last Bottle, so. Um, I don't think you can get it there. And then mm-hmm. I have a, uh, let's see, I have a Zinfandel uh, from Napa that I think that you might be interested in. I'm going to try to send that. Oh, actually, I have a second, a second Cab Franc too. So uh, Langen Reed, uh, Langen Reed, we've had, or maybe I've had, we've, I've had their, uh, I think it's a Cab Sauv uh, or possibly a Pinot Noir. Uh, but it is, um, it's a it's a mix of uh, Lake County, High Valley, and Red Hills. I'm reading this, so uh, <laughs> that's how I know it all. And then four percent from <laughs> Napa Valley. Uh, I think you'll like that one too. So I've got I've got like a little care package. I, I try to save up these like things that are difficult to get in Virginia, mm-hmm. so I can send them to you like in a in a package of like six or so. Yeah, and uh, you know, in a, a shipping container that makes sense. But yeah, exactly. The, uh, but you know, well, why the, don't we? Why don't we kind of? I was about to say the not the politics, but the uh, the planning aside. What yeah. are we actually drinking? What did so I we'll, buy? <laughs> yeah. So what did what you chose was Noble Vines uh, one fifty two Pinot Grigio. Mm-hmm. This is from. Um, oh man. Our, oh, oh, I'm sorry, Monterey. Yeah, was, <laughs> I, I, was, I, was, I was blanking on it. But in particular, it's a sub-AVA of Monterey called San Bernard uh, Bernabe. So uh, I'm going to, you know, I don't know Spanish, but it's B-E-R-N-A-B-E. So it would be uh, Bernabe or Bernabe. How would you say that, do you think? B E R N A B E. I honestly don't know. Like, yeah, and I'm from California. I don't know, but there's you know there's a lot of Spanish names there, and I don't really know how to pronounce Spanish stuff. So, uh, and it also this is the other thing about California because it was kind of like whiteified to some degree. They change names sometimes to make them match white people pronunciations. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so I would say San. Uh, Bernabe, that would I think be the correct way to say it. Bernab Bernabe, but um, it could also be Bernabe or something like that. So, um, so it's a subregion of uh, Monterey, and we'll kind of get into this a little bit. Monterey is actually a much bigger AVA than I realized, uh, and I did a little research on it, so I've got some interesting facts about it. Um, but, anyways, this one Noble Vines one fifty two Pinot Grigio. Uh, what do you pay for it? At at your uh, like nine ninety nine or something like that before okay, that's what that's what I paid too it was it was uh, quote unquote on sale nine when I was listed yeah when I look it up on uh, Vivino that's about the average price they're actually saying average nine ninety nine so mm-hmm. um, so roughly roughly the average price and uh, on also there's a, a sh- there's a 
another site that I found it on called um, a taste of Monterey.com. And there it's $14 a bottle. Mm -hmm. So did you get the 2019? That's what I had. I, I want to say yes. Um, Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the 2019. Do you know why it's called 152? I don't. I didn't look it up. And here's the thing. We may have had this before on the show, but I don't know for sure. Uh, one, It's clone varietal 152. So, Got it. Okay. That um, makes sense. Originated in Alsace, France. Um, and thanks to Army General Lachard de Schwell, who originally picked up vines, cuttings in Toke, Hungary, before returning to Alsace. Um, so yeah, like this is, um, like this may be kind of closer to the French style just because the cologne varietal kind of yeah. supposedly is French. Who knows for sure. Um, definitely. Like, I think the tasting notes are like wildly off, but not in a bad way. Really? So. Okay. Well, th- why don't you go in and get into your, well, actually, uh, I'll call it by volume. Mm-hmm. A- according to the website and I actually threw the bottle away before I started making my notes. So Mm -hmm. I didn't go back and look according to the internet, 14.5. That to me seems insane. I I would think this is more like 12.5. I'm pretty sure this is 12 something because I definitely drank the pretty much the entire bottle over the day. Um, Okay. But like enough in a row where if this was like that alcoholic, I'd been in trouble. Yeah, because it's that's pretty high, and for a white wine, especially very high. Yeah, I I think that is a either I typed it wrong or um, the internet. No, is I wrong, think I, I think the notes either you, the notes you took over wrong, which I don't think so. Um, I'm best betting that was just probably like a mislabeling. Okay, yeah. So yeah, fourteen point five seems high. I would I would say because I drank the entire bottle and felt pretty much okay. Um, I would say twelve point five. Yeah, I think uh, maybe it was, maybe thirteen. I think twelve. Like I, I seem to remember looking at the bottle itself. I'm um, I'm trying to see if I can find it listed somewhere else. Okay, well I'll go ahead and get my tasting notes on yeah, it yeah, while yeah. you're looking if you want. So, um, I'll tell you what what I thought about it, and you tell me if this is kind of along your lines. Um, sure. Look, it's a crisp golden color, uh, kind of more along the lines of like a a. More, I would say it does kind of tend toward the greeny spectrum, but it's mostly clear. Um, not really a whole lot of color to it. Uh, smell fruity citrus and pear is what I've got on this. Uh, a little bit of alcohol, a little bit of kind of a slatiness, so it's more of like a minerally kind of gravel. Mm-hmm. Not a lot of that, but but a little bit there. Um, taste citrus and pear, small amount of gravel. Uh, it has an interesting texture. I thought that was the most interesting part about this one. It's heavier uh, mouthfeel and it has kind of a oily texture where it's like heavy and oily. So it has that viscousness, mm-hmm. but I think because it's not light, it makes it feel more like oil. Yeah. Um, I, I think a lot of whites have that. Um, yeah. They, they can for like sure. In the, in the Riesling Grigio range. And the uh, more exotic um, George. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I get that with like. Um, although usually they're a little bit more full bodied, but like with, um, um, and I'm drawing a blank on the Albarino. 
Uh, Albarino kind of mm-hmm. has a mm-hmm. little bit of that, although Albarino tends to be more more on the tropical fruit flavor and the lower acidity side, but it does mm-hmm. sometimes have that kind of oily, heavy-bodied texture. What did you um, think of oily or acidity on this one? Good acidity on this, I thought. Really? Um, it wasn't it wasn't overly acidic. It wasn't like a it wasn't like the actually the previous one we had, which was poor opening. This one was a little bit more subdued on the the acidity, but I did think it was more in balance as far as like you know we've talked about like the framing of the flavors. Mm-hmm. I felt like this acidity was more appropriate for the whole flavor structure. Gotcha. Uh, I do tend to like in a white wine a little bit of the more bolder acidity, but that kind of comes with needing to have a little bit more flavor than this one had. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if, if you're going to have, if you're going to have that high acidity, you're going to need a lot of bold fruit flavors. And, and I think that kind of balances it out, although it does make it more reminiscent of lemon lime. And then if you have like a lot of these nice pear notes, like this one had a lot more pear notes, I thought. And uh, that kind of, lends itself to being less acidic. So that might've been a benefit to it. I did think it was good uh, for the price point, especially very good. Uh, I have on my conclusions, I said it's nice, light and refreshing. Um, Still kind of feels similar to how I feel about Pinot Grigio, where there's something lacking. It's, uh, and that it would be very good with lighter fare. So maybe vegetarian dishes, maybe, um, something kind of like light fish dishes and things that are not overly pungent. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that would be a good pairing for it, maybe with salad or a, or like a chicken salad or something like that would be, it would be a good uh, combination. That was, that was, those were my notes. What do you think about it? So um, I opened it, like I said, kind of the middle of the day after putting it in the fridge for about an hour. Um, so first glass, basically loved the flavor couldn't tell you anything about it wasn't to me had no acidity like pretty much at all compared like especially compared to the last two i think last one was super acidity was kind of its bigger upfront place um and then the one before that acidity was kind of like on the deep back end i really was waiting for the acidity and this one kind of all together um but i really enjoyed this bottle of wine. This is like you were saying before the last two where you were kind of like, I would, you know, possibly have these as kind of like to share with people. Like this is one I would definitely do that with. Um, I didn't think it like specifically like, um, I don't think it like, you know, it was an outstanding or shining example of it, but I really enjoyed this bottle of wine. Um, Like I like, so I really couldn't get much from the smell. My wife described it as pear and spring shower. Um, So like, I like, I, that's a good description. Spring shower. I like that. Yeah. In my notes, I have light with small acidity, very pleasant as the flavor. Cause like I held it in my mouth for a while and you know how we've talked about in the past, we felt like some of the whites had like a carbonation to them, even though they weren't carbonated. Mm-hmm. I kind of got that on this one when I held it in my mouth, like purposely held it there. Like I didn't swallow it. Like I, I let it sit on my tongue for a, a longer than I normally would. Um, okay. So like I kind of got that, but yeah, like 
to me, this is the best one of the three that we've done so far. But I don't think it, like, particularly pushed the boundaries in any one way. Like, I think it was very middle of the road. I really didn't, I couldn't give you, like, a pair. Like, because to me, mm-hmm. like, pear has a, like, like I'm tasting pear in my mouth right now, just talking about it. And that's very kind of more of a rare thing for me. I don't have like sure. a super strong fruit sense memory, but like, mm-hmm. like, and I had this with, so I, I started, like I was saying, I started the day uh, when I was having this just by itself, it wasn't super cold. Um, so usually with whites, like if you have them when they're warmer, like you can kind of get some differences and like some of the flavors are a little more forward than if you have them chilled, but chilled generally brings out to me, like the more subdued and better versions of the flavor. Um, so I had that, like, again, didn't really bring out much second glass, not a lot, third glass, not a lot. And then I ended up having the last glass with dinner tonight which was London broil based on my dad's marinade, which is pretty acidic. Okay. And um, with a baked potato and green beans. So like totally not the fare that you were talking about, but I think it complemented pretty well with it. But that also could speak to more uh, acidity than I was picking up, you know, because like, as you and I talk about, like, I like whites with like the meats and stuff like that, like compared to other people. So to me that... I think that kind of says something like, oh, maybe there was more going on than I was really picking up. And that's what I kind of thought about this is kind of like Pinot Noir, where there's definitely is more going on than I'm realizing, let's say. But And and it is, I I mean, genetically, genetically speaking, it is Pinot Noir. Mm -hmm. It's just a mutant of that. So, and that makes sense to me too, because I have kind of that same thought ever since we've sort of been doing this Pinot Grigio series. Um, and it may, and again, it's the price point. I think, I think you're right. Uh, but one of the complaints that people have about Pinot Grigio, uh, well, this is a, a complaint for wine people, people who drink a lot of wine. This is one of the most popular wines worldwide, mm-hmm. uh, popular grape types. I mean, it's up there with Chardonnay and, um, uh, even Sauvignon Blanc is more popular than that, which is one that I like a lot, but, one of the big complaints from wine connoisseurs is that it is a very simple wine or a simple grape. It doesn't have a lot of additional flavors. It's very clear, typically what it is. Um, so it doesn't have a lot of, it doesn't have a lot of things to think about. There's not a lot of ancillary flavors. It is what it is. Mm-hmm. And which can kind of fall into the same area as Pinot Noir, which is not, it is what it is. Pinot Noir is much more of a a ghost, so it's difficult to know what it is. So people either like it or they don't like it, and that's kind of uh, – so when, when things are like mysterious, it's sort of the same as when they're very, very clear. Mm-hmm. It's just kind of like mm-hmm. – even though that seems like totally opposite things, it's kind of like, well, you either like it or you don't like it, you know, in both cases. Yeah. And – um. But and I do kind of detect a lot of a lot of that in the Pinot Gris shows we've done. It's not that I didn't dislike any of them; it's that they just were not really my thing. Mm-hmm. This one I thought was a lot more my thing, but also just very clearly what it is. It's very Front Street, and yeah. and I appreciate that. And that's the thing is, I think this was a better wine, yeah, than the other two, but. 
I would be hard pressed and this maybe this wine was more um consistent maybe like that might not be the right word to describe it um but this wine was like well produced it it didn't vary any one way or the other where I think like the Italian one that was more showed more of what the winemaker was trying to do possibly mm-hmm. you know what I mean like it, it's kind of like this one is like this is for mass market production so it doesn't stray very much. It's not going to burn your face off. It's not going to do anything to kill you or anything like that. So I think, I think that's kind of where this one was is it's just like, no, this is, this is what we do. Yeah. And, 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 and we've talked about this before is that that is a talent in itself. It's mm-hmm. um, being able to produce a consistent product year after year is difficult. And yeah. Um, whereas like, I'm not a huge fan of Franzia, uh, or like, you know, th- these kind of bulk wines or whatever, there is a consistency in those that is impressive. And mm-hmm. this I think is a step above that. Uh, but I'd be curious to see what the 2020 on this was, uh, just to see, are they producing the same thing year after year? You know, at, at, at least at my Kroger, I took a look, there wasn't really anything else available. 2019 was the only one available. Um, it is for Kroger a big seller. Uh, Pinot Grigio is one of their most popular uh, wines. Wines sell, mm-hmm. uh, and I think it's just because it's easily accessible. It's uh, and, and this is for the listeners too who are just either trying to get into wine or um, want something that is not offensive is not the right word, but want something that's easily palatable. Goes with a, a good deal of stuff. If you're having lighter fare, chicken, fish those types of things. Uh, now I know you had, you, you would probably recommend a little bit different. You had heavier beef and things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, but these I think are what people would expect to pair with the lighter fare. And also, um, nobody would really object to if they're wine drinkers. Do you think, do you agree with that or do you disagree with that? (laughs) One more time. Sorry. Like I just kind of like, I was following with it and everything made sense. And then just, it went out of my head. So I would think for Pinot Grigio, mm-hmm. uh, if you're going to have, and when I say lighter fare, I mean chicken, fish, um, a vegetable-based dish, things like that, or maybe a pasta-based dish, uh, that Pinot Grigio would be a good choice for that. Mm-hmm. Even if you're not into wine, because it is a generally unoffensive wine. It's just kind of, very basic, very straightforward, not very, usually not super high alcohol, not high, those other flavors that people don't like. You know, one thing that I, I've learned since you and I've started this show is that people don't like tannins, which is very surprising to me because mm-hmm. that's one of my favorite things. It's my, one of my favorite textures on wine is tannins, but this is, this has got that kind of oily viscosity. It, it's not high tannins. It's got a good amount of acidity, so if you have a fattier chicken dish, it'll cut that. Um, but overall, this I think if you're going to have people over and you're going to be having a lighter meat-based dish, this would be a good pairing, mm-hmm. and and not shameful at all. Like I think this would be a it's inexpensive, ten bucks a bottle, and uh, I think people would enjoy it, especially over the last two that we had. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think this this probably goes better with more stuff and I think is a little bit more complicated. 
Yeah, and that's the thing is, like, I personally would um, always recommend kind of going with a, you know me, like, I'm always going to recommend going with a more aggressive food uh, wine pairing um, than that. But, like, I definitely think, like, the Pinot Grigio, like, this one, yeah, you're, you're right. You're not going to offend anybody you're not going to blow anybody out of the water you're not going to make anybody go step back and be like what are you doing like people would get what you were trying to do with those with those specific positioning and in, in foods and stuff like that you know what i mean yeah. like where it's like okay you're not going like oh here's like you're not giving them like cab franc from virginia going like oh this will be great with your chicken like, right, exactly. Or, you yeah. know, I might be like, yeah, that'd be great with your chicken. <laughs> but like, <laughs> yeah, you're, you're giving people kind of like an idea of like, oh, this is kind of more balanced and in forward. Yeah, so I, I think yeah, it would, it would be a fine suggestion. Okay, well, on that note, let's go ahead and play a, a word from our sponsor, and then I'm going to uh, get into the Monterey AVA where this one was was grown and kind of what to expect from that AVA for Pinot Grigio. And then I have one article that I would like to um, I'd like to cover before the show is over because we have about 30 minutes left. Um, so let me play our sponsor and then I'm going to step away for just a second and then um, so Mason, if the commercial ends, you fill the space, okay? Will do. All right, I'll be right back, and here's our sponsor. Hi, folks. Dan Reed here, the host of the Culinary Libertarian Podcast. During the show's tenure, I've spoken to celebrated authors of baking and economics. I've chatted with bakers and chefs and libertarians alike to introduce you to people who provide a mix of ideas to build your skills in the kitchen as well as tempt your appetite toward liberty. Type culinarylibertarian.com slash podcasts into your browser search bar and subscribe on your favorite podcatcher. I look forward to hearing from you. So one of the things I've been thinking about trying to talk to Jacob to talk to Dan about is uh, knife maintenance because like that's one of the things that I, I feel I lack very much in my house is uh, proper knife maintenance and kind of uh, talking to him about the best way to care and treat your knives and to ensure you get a good consistent cut. So maybe we'll uh, be able to talk to him about that one day. So I don't know if Jacob's back or not, but we thank Dan for his continued support. And uh, yeah, buy his book if you haven't. And I've returned. Yes. Was there empty space? Epic space. I had to quickly come up with something. No, like uh, it, it wasn't bad. <laughs> and one okay. of the things I was saying is like I, I kind of want to try to – like one of the things I want to talk to Dan about um, is knife maintenance. Like, oh, that's good. Yeah. And like, you know, because like you watch like any baking or cooking show and it's like they're they're just gliding through the meat or whatever they're cooking or and things like that. And yeah, you know, I get it. They're they're good at what they're doing. And there's something to be said about knowing what you're doing with the knife itself. Yeah. But that's one of the things where it's like, OK, like I think this would really kind of up my wife and I's cooking game as a better cared for instrument 
That's okay. That's interesting. I'll ask him about that. Maybe we can have him on to talk about that and also talk about some wines. I, I need to message him directly because uh, I've kind of gone through Nikki P to see if uh, maybe he's interested. But like, I he's a friend of mine on Twitter, so I might as well just message mm-hmm. him directly. So, uh, but let's go ahead and get into the Monterey AVA for Pinot Grigio. Yeah. Uh, so in Monterey, um, it is not their most popular grape. But it is a popular grape, and it's the fourth largest uh, county for Pinot Grigio in California at uh, 1,364 acres of Pinot Grigio. That's pretty Um, strong. Yeah, it is very strong. This is actually a much larger AVA than I thought. Uh, It's about 100 miles long, and it varies in its width, but it's um, between 20 and 40 miles in width, depending on where it is. Uh, And... Um, they've been growing wine commercially there for 50 years. So it is, uh, a, an, I guess an older region for growing wine in California. They, they have been growing wine there for private production for a much longer period of time, but, uh, for 50 years it's been commercially grown there. And th- that, that kind of puts it in line with the 1970 ish when, uh, California started coming into its own as a producer of, uh, of fine wines. Um, I don't know when they started putting Pinot Grigio in because I couldn't find anything about that. But in Monterey, there are eight uh, counties that are uh, sub-AVA. So they actually have their own AVA distinction, but they are under the Monterey AVA. And those counties or those sub-regions are uh, Santa Lucia Highlands, uh, Arroyo Seco, San Lucia, James Valley, Calone, uh, C-H-A-L-O-N-E, Carmel Valley, San Antonio Valley, and San Bernabe, which is where our Pinot Grigio is from. Mm -hmm. And um, so I didn't do a huge amount of uh, research on each individual subregion. I just did uh, San Bernabe because that's where the one that we're drinking is from. But Monterey would actually be an interesting place to kind of investigate. It is apparently very diverse with many, many microclimates. Uh, even in San Bernabe, I should, I, I got to figure out how to say that because it's going to drive me nuts. But uh, even in, in that region, there is a huge difference from vineyard to vineyard and then even within the vineyard so what's interesting i was reading about it uh before the show and they were saying one of the things that's particularly interesting about this part of california is that even on a vineyard that's only about 40 acres you may have a difference in temperature from one side of the vineyard to the other of about five degrees fahrenheit Mm -hmm. which can be pretty uh pretty wide and it ends up translating to up to four weeks difference in harvesting between one side of your vineyard and the other. Mm-hmm. Uh, and which to me is fascinating that, that this is kind of how they operate and, and just what the climate does to it is just, it, it's so, so pocketed. And uh, so they, so this is something that they're, they're kind of, um, it, they're known for is that they have these very, very distinct microclimates. They're very well known for, Pinot Noir, which makes sense that Pinot Grigio is done there as well. They also do Chardonnay. They also do Pinot, um, or they also do uh, 
uh, Sauvignon Blanc and um, Cabernet Sauvignon. So, uh, but in particular, San Bernabe, um, I man, I really hope that's the right way to pronounce it. <laughs> uh, they have very sandy soil. It's on uh, old sand dunes. And mm-hmm. so they have very, very sandy soil, high concentration of that seashell uh, minerality that comes in that. And that does translate into the wine a lot. Now, for our wine, I didn't really notice that one way or the other, but uh, that is uh, reminiscent of Alassas, which also has kind of a limestoney soil uh, with high minerality. And the climate is very similar to Alassas, which. Uh, is where Pinot Grigio is originally from. Mm -hmm. Uh, So what they say is that Pinot Grigio from this part of Monterey is very reminiscent of Alassace, but because of all of the differential microclimates and the interesting diurnals and the unexpected climate um, differentials, because California does have that to some degree as well. And one of the reasons that Napa is such a good place is it does have a little bit more of a consistent climate but Monterey has a little bit more inconsistent climate, a little bit more unexpected. Mm-hmm. So you don't really know what you're going to get, especially from one side of your vineyard to the other because of the influence of the Pacific Ocean. And uh, it it makes their wines a little bit more distinct from year to year. Um, but they also grow a lot and it is very commercially available. So uh, that is the notes that I have on Monterey. Do you have anything you want to say about it? You and I have both been to Monterey. Do you have anything you want to say about just visiting Monterey? Uh, do it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's, yeah. that's what that was going to be my yeah. saying. I, I, um, the Monterey Aquarium is super cool. Uh, the town of Monterey is very interesting. Um, I went to my cousin's wedding at a Buddhist retreat um, up one of the mountains from Monterey. Yeah, definitely fun time. Definitely worth going. Yeah, very, very pretty. Uh, I spent uh, a, a, a three days, I think, in Monterey with uh, an ex of mine, and um, we had a, we had a very good time there. Went on a lot of sightseeing and stuff. Also, uh, Steinbeck wrote a lot in that area, so uh, there's a lot of Steinbeck. If you're into literature, there's a lot of Steinbeck monuments and things like that. The, the aquarium is fantastic. Uh, I think they call it the uh, is it the eight mile drive. Uh, I, that that's not a question for me. <laughs> okay, I think it's something like that, right? Or Pebble Beach, the Pebble Pebble Beach. I think it's called Pebble Beach Eight Mile Drive. It's actually owned by the Japanese, I think. But um, you pay; it's a private road. You go through there, you drive. It's beautiful, mm-hmm. and uh, you just kind of drive around this little loop, and it's uh, right along the coast. There, you can see the seals, or I guess they're sea lions. Um, I don't know what the difference between a seal and a sea lion is. Uh, I'm sure there is a difference. But uh, you can go there and like see those. There's also great seafood, which is not something I'm a fan of, but uh, other people are. And um, really, really cool area, really cool area. Uh, but yeah. uh, and great climate too. It just feels really nice, even during the summer. It's cooler, so like you get this nice breeze and stuff. And um, yeah, def- really great place to be. Definitely on the beach. Very awesome. Yeah. So if if uh, you're interested in going to Monterey County. Uh, check out Pinot Grigio from uh, San Bernabe is is how I'm going to pronounce it. And uh, let's go ahead and move on to our article because I, I know we're running a little bit late in the show. And this is an article I really wanted to get to because I don't think we've done an article for a couple of episodes. And uh, this article is in particular interesting to me because it relates to something that happened here in Texas that we discussed. 
So uh, the article is called Opposition Mounting to Santa Barbara County Wine Fee. Uh, so for everybody who's listening, Santa Barbara County, um, that's where uh, the Santa uh, – no, I, I'm making a mistake on that. But Santa Barbara County, big county, they, they make a lot of wine, but it's it's not a an established wine region. It's mm-hmm. more of an up-and-coming wine region, although they have been making wine there for about 50 years commercially. Uh, same same thing as um, uh, as uh, Monterey. So, in Santa Barbara County, uh, their uh, producers typically and historically get along very well. But uh, a new proposition for a fee to fund the regional marketing uh, to fund regional marketing um, ventures, I guess, uh, is bringing that historical kind of peace between wine producers to an end. Uh, the proposition is that 1% will be assist, uh, or assessed per bottle uh, sold directly to consumers in California. And uh, Santa Barbara, it's the Santa Barbara County Vintners Association, and they're trying to establish something called a um, Business Improvement District, or BID. Uh, they say that this is going to help them out because it's going to produce another million dollars per year in revenue, which is going to increase their ability to do marketing and advertisement and promote the region as a wine region. (laughs) Uh, Currently their budget is about $400,000 and it is funded mostly by um, membership fees. Mm -hmm. So if you want to join the Santa Barbara County Vintners Association, you have to pay the fees and that, that that ends up being about $400,000 a year. Um, so in order for uh, in order to form a business improvement district or B- BID um, so that they can levy the fee, 50% of the members of the Santa Barbara County Vintners Association and the county and the municipalities involved all have to approve that uh, BID formation. Now, a sub point on that is – uh, the concern from a lot of the small vintners is that uh, producers will be able to tip the scale in favor of the BDI or the BID um, because it is a weighted 50%. So the votes are based off of your annual revenue, not based off of just your membership. So mm-hmm. uh, if you're a huge company, you have a much larger vote than some you know small 40-acre vineyard. Uh, so that, that's one of the concerns. So, uh, the opposition to the new quote unquote fee is, uh, a new organization that was formed called the Santa Barbara wine County coalition. Uh, and they uh, are arguing collectively against this fee. Uh, their main concerns are that the BID, um, is not transparent. So apparently there's been a lot of shenanigans going on. They, they're not very clear on what they're going to do with the additional money mm-hmm. and also who they represent when it comes to now that they're, they're saying that they represent Santa Barbara County, but the smaller producers are saying, no, you, you're, you're going to more represent the larger companies because the larger companies have a wider um, distribution network outside of California or outside of the region and if you're advertising nationwide, but we can't get our wines out nationwide, then you're not really helping us. You're helping only the large producers. Unless for somehow that triggered people to 
actually be more interested in yours and create like this is one of those things where like it's one of those things where it's like okay so you go from four hundred thousand up an extra six you know up and double your double and then like and a half so it's one and a half times extra money so like like couldn't you just raise the fee to get there and and people who are interested you know like that's kind of the thing is it's always this is always one of those things that's super confusing to me because it's like wait a minute like who's enforcing this fee (laughs) you know what i mean like right where where is the fee coming from so that's that's one of the reasons why the county has to be involved because if the so would the uh BID with a, a business Im- improvement district, it is a state sanctioned authority, which means mm-hmm. that now the state is involved and they're enforcing the fee as, and it's basically, so this is actually the second point of uh, the Santa Barbara wine County coalition who are opposed to this formation is that they're saying, this is just another tax. Mm-hmm. And we frankly can't afford more taxes at this at now, I covered this actually in the California in Exile. Um, the winemakers are actually very concerned about uh, Proposition 15 because Proposition 15 is going to uh, right now property taxes in California are actually very low nationally. It's it's capped at one percent of assessed value as of the time the land was purchased, mm-hmm. um, with a two percent increase in value to adjust for inflation. But um, so, but there's a dispensation that if you make improvements to the land, you get, you get that, uh, then the entire portion of your land reassessed for value. So if you bought your land in like 1960 and then you build a, vi- a vineyard or, a uh, it's actually the vineyard would be exempt because it's agricultural land. But if you build a wine, a winery on it, that is commercial. So then your entire land gets reassessed <laughs> and, your 1960 value and your 2020 value are completely different. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and frankly could put tons of people out of business. That's one of the reasons why they oppose this. So one of the things that the, uh, the coalition is saying is that we are already taxed out the wazoo. We don't need an additional 1% tax. If you can't do what you want to do based off of the fees that are already charged, that's your problem. That's not our problem. Um, yeah. And, that and and then you're also it's kind of like what, what's that old joke where I, I don't remember who said it but where they're like uh, where they're talking about marriage and they're like uh, baby what we got is so good we just got to get the state involved mm-hmm. and and it's kind of like one of those things where it's like nothing about that's going to make it better uh, and, and I could see some people especially the people who work for um, the uh, Santa Barbara County Vintners Association. They probably one of the reasons that they complain about this. I have this in my notes here is that they're unsure what the fees are going to be from year to year, so it makes it difficult for them to uh, plan for the future because they don't know who's going to renew. Mm-hmm. Whereas if they establish a BID, that one percent is assessed over all wineries, whether they're a member of the association or not, as long as they're in Santa Barbara County. Yeah. So so that's kind of one of the things. So like smaller producers are going like, well, we are members, but 
we don't like this idea because if we don't want to be members anymore, we're still going to be taxed at this 1%. You're going to be doing advertisement that we may not want. Or may so, not be appropriate to us. Like, yeah, yeah. It, it, that's, this is one of those things where it's like it, volunteer associations that, and this is one of the things that like I've always hated about the idea of, um, like um, home groups, not home groups, but um, HOAs. Yeah, HOAs. Yeah. Okay. It's like, they're they're the the law, the rules of the HOA are never strong enough to stop one lunatic from taking over. You know what I mean? Like, and then like being like, oh, like we're gonna do this now, and, and you know, people like any chance to get power, people go bananas. It seems. And that's what drives me nuts is like the idea that like people will just take over and destroy. And, and that's what like kind of makes me think about this thing. It's like, okay, well, we're not getting enough revenue to do what we want. So we're going to do an end run around and we're going to expect these people to continue to, you know, it, it would be different if like the entire association was like, yeah, we think this would be a good idea. And yeah. we're willingly giving one percent of our sales, right? It's like okay, but it's already forty percent are saying no, we don't like this. Yeah, um, but it's also weighted, so it's kind of hard to say. So the, there's a couple of other points that they had against it, where they said, um, well, I, I kind of mentioned this earlier. They said that the marketing will benefit large producers more than small producers uh, because large producers are are usually distributing outside of the region, and small producers are not. Um, and then a, uh, they also have a just a general mistrust of associations altogether because historically in California and other places, the associations tend to be, um, for lack of a better way of putting it, predatory. They mm -hmm. are usually people who are not offering a lot of value, but they end up getting the government involved, which then you kind of feel obligated or forced to – uh, contribute fees or join it or else you will not be considered when it comes for different types of licensure or uh, zoning laws, that kind of thing. So um, the these kind of associations tend to be kind of extortion rackets to some degree. Mm -hmm. uh, and if you look at a lot of the regions around there where they have assessed these types of fees, which are taxes – uh, they do have sort of a similar problem. These small producers do tend to get run out of business or gobbled up by larger co corporations, and um, they just they can't. They, I mean, one percent doesn't seem like a lot, but it does tend to add up. And uh, so, small producers kind of are going like, "Well, these associations don't really benefit us. We've not really had a huge problem in Santa Barbara since." Um, you know, since we've, you know, we've had, we have the voluntary association. This is, this is kind of the argument that we had here in Texas, where it was a lot of the Texas uh, groups were like, oh yeah, we're in favor of this. But then like kind of the smaller producers, which a lot of Texas is smaller producers, but a lot of the smaller ones were going like, well, wait a second. Why would you make this law when we're already doing it? We don't really need anybody to enforce it. It seems like more like your kind of, you're trying something else. Like there's something else going on here. We're already all following this. So why do you need to get the government involved in this? Mm -hmm. it's, a, it's one of those kind of weird things. 
Yeah. So that's one of the things that like, I would say, um, this kind of makes me think of like, like the COVID response. Yeah. And like, like locally, you know, people have been like, Oh, working to get small businesses loans and like to survive. And it's like, okay, so you're talking about federal politicians working to get businesses loans, but like, Virginia chose to shut down its economy, but Cal, you know, Texas really didn't. So why do, am I having to shoulder the burden? But also it's like, okay, so let's say that I was, I took out a loan to start a business that was doing well. Like I, you know, it was a loan that was, you know, it wasn't like, like the big tech loans where you're like, I'm getting my series A funding for producing a nuclear battery. I haven't graduated high school yet. And it's like, what the hell are you doing? It's like, yeah, I've been in the restaurant industry for 30 years and I've run six other restaurants and I've got a loan for this one. I know what I'm doing. And it's like, okay, all of a sudden I've got to take a loan to survive. And it's like, oh, thanks. You got me a loan that I didn't need otherwise. If you hadn't collapsed the economy and destroyed my ability to earn a living, I might not have needed a loan to even begin with. Mm-hmm. So Thanks. It's like, okay, so, you know, hey, here's all this marketing you need, but I'm going to take 1%. It's like, yeah, but I could have spent less than 1% on marketing. Right. And yeah, fine. Like, and you're not even advertising for me specifically, you're advertising the AVA. Right. And and yeah, (laughs) I, I think it's kind of also like, if you're, if your business model and this is kind of like a brew, like a lot of times small breweries are like this. If your business model doesn't include outsourced out, not outsourced out, outside advertisement, then then it's not really going to behoove you to pay that amount. Like a lot of times with local breweries, you just kind of are relying on being present because people search those out when they're coming to the area. Mm-hmm. And, and and the same thing is true for wineries, that maybe to a lesser extent, but. Um, People want to know what alcohol creators are in the area. They will look them out and they will find them. And Santa Barbara is a wine region. And there are people like me and you who would who would go there and be like, well, I wonder what wineries are in the area. And they'll look them up. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that, that makes sense. And it also may, you know, I, this may be a bias. For sure, it's a bias. Anytime that you're asking for the government to enforce your new regulation or your new tax. I'm kind of opposed to that. I don't like this at all. I understand that they're going to be like, Oh, well it's the free rider problem or whatever, but, but that's not a thing. Like, yeah, exactly. It's not a thing. It's something. Yeah. Is is something. It's like, Oh, blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, like I chose not to do this. My business does not need this. Like, let's say that, Let's say I'm making $60,000 a year and I'm happy making $60,000 a year. Yeah. Now I'm making 54,000. And I didn't choose to do this advertisement. I didn't like like I chose to open up in Santa Barbara by my own volition. Yeah. Like why are you doing like why are you telling me that this is good for me? Like I didn't ask you to tell me what was good for me or show me what's a better way of doing something. Like screw off yeah exactly like it's not your business like we'll figure it out yeah but i I think that's just kind of 
I don't know. I thought this was a very appropriate article for us, and I just want to kind of cover it so that people could. 100% appropriate for yeah. us. Yeah. So uh, let's go and wrap up there. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have anything else that you want to promote? Is there any other wines that you tried this week that you think are interesting? That you I might didn't want to try like? any other wines this week. Um, what about that? What about that beer that I had an interesting label so that uh, Will and uh, Jared I, can know about it? I don't have enough of memory of what it is, but basically it was a local O'Connor's brewery that a beer that was a triple IPA, um, you know, it was 10% alcohol. Didn't really feel like that to me, but whatever. Um, it had a picture of like a very cartoonish picture of Gordon Ramsay on it. It was interesting. Um, but it's fun pints. O'Connor's is always kind of good, but, um, wasn't anything to super write home about, but, uh, good places, good things to you know talk about. As we have said quite a few times, Jacob does another show called California in Exile. Um, going to be some good guests going up there eventually. Uh, I think Mark Claire, you said soon. Yeah. Um, Mark Claire is my next, my next guest. I'm scheduled to have him on uh, next week. And then Monica Perez is going to be on very soon as well. Um, I've got a couple of other Californians uh, who no longer live in California and a couple that do that currently live in California mm-hmm. and that are planning to leave. Uh, also, yeah. if uh, one segment that we're doing on the California in exile now, um, it is a very long monthly episode uh, that we're planning to do. It's about three hours per episode, mm-hmm. um, but it's on intentional communities, uh, mostly focusing on Childeberg town. Um, that's uh, that is kind of the, the goal for me right now is to try to figure out how to get uh, Childerberg Town, the intentional community, going. And uh, if you're interested in hearing updates on that and where things are going and like ideas and stuff, uh, check out the California Exile. It's going to usually be the third week of the month where we put out that episode. Yeah. So do you have a website or a Twitter or a Facebook page that uh, people can? Right now, just Twitter. Uh, it's at. Uh, let me let me tell exactly what it is real quick. It is uh, at C A in exile. So uh, at C A in exile. Gotcha. So yeah, you can follow our show Twitter uh, on Twitter Tasting Anarchy on Twitter TastingAnarchy.com, Tasting Anarchy on Reddit or Facebook Childerberg Reddit Facebook Twitter. Uh, Childerberg.com. You can always send us an email at tastinganarchy at gmail.com. Uh, Childerberg is our annual event in the Tex, not in Texas, but kind of near Austin, but not always necessarily near Austin, about 40 minutes outside of Austin this year and the upcoming year of 2021, Mule Shoe Bend Recreational Area. Perfect. Twenty seventh, twenty ninth, through the thirty first. Yep. Of absolutely. May, yep. um, in twenty twenty. Uh, yep. Twenty twenty one. Excuse me. Um, but yeah, most likely, people will probably be out there a little early. I'm sure some people are going to stay a little late. My wife and daughter are most likely going to come, so that should be fun. Um, my wife is probably going to be on the California in exile. So those of you who know her personally, which is like you, Jacob, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Um, will 
you know, know who that is, but she'll, I'm sure, introduce who she is and tell you all about her and her love of California. Um, as we continually tell you about our love of California, despite being a show about pretty much the exact opposite of what California is these days. <laughs> so. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing is the California in exile, I think, is more of a, um, a show of mourning. To some degree, uh, mm-hmm. it, it is, uh, and, and also a show of warning is that if you are um, in a state that you love and uh, you are worried about the outcome of the state, just make sure that you get involved to whatever degree you can. I, I don't know about the politics; politics may not be the right way to do it, but um, something happened in California at some point, and it, it has gone the wrong direction, and it's made it unlivable for me. And unlivable for many people, many people meaning, you know, Joe Rogan, uh, Elon Musk, um, you know, and, and many, many others. So, uh, yeah, check out the show. Uh, you'll hear what I have to say. I, I mostly just cover current events of California. And then there's just, we'll have guests once in a while. I had my grandmother, a recording of my grandmother on there. She's uh, lived in California for 70 years. So, mm-hmm. um She's got a lot of stuff to say about California. Uh, no longer than 70 years. She's 94. She she married my grandfather when she was uh, 22, I think. So mm-hmm. um, so what? She's been there... 70 years. 73 years, I guess. Yeah, yeah so... Right. Yeah, something like that. So, yeah. So, uh, so she's been uh, here, there a long time. Here's my theme song for California in Exile. Here's a warning. We're all in mourning. It's the California in Exile show. That's good. I should I should talk to some of our musicians and yeah. see if they can if they can make that a uh if they can that's actually not bad at all. That's actually very good. <laughs> <laughs> I like that a lot. All yeah. right. Well on on that note, everybody. The two uh, left right writes a song. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody, have a great night. Have a good one. Stay free. Knock down windows and tear down doors. Drinking Afghans and calling for more. Drinking wines, go to you to drink wine. Wines, go to you to drink wine. Wines, go to you to drink wine. Pass that bottle to me. Hoy! Drink it, man. Oh, give me some of that slop. Oh, pass that bottle to me. If you want to get along in Peter's town, buy some wine and pass it around. Age runs up to 49. All them cats, they love sweet wine. Drinking wine's for you to drink wine. Wine's for you to drink wine. Wine's for you to drink wine. Pass that bottle to me. Hoy! Wine, wine, wine. Elderberry. Cherry, cherry. Wine, wine, wine. Blackberry. Horton sherry. Wine, wine, wine. Oh, pass that bottle to me. Now down on Gilfrey at Willie's Den. He wasn't selling but American gin. One soldier wanted a bottle of wine. He hit that cat for a dollar and a dime. I drink wine for you to drink wine. Wine for you to drink wine. Wine for you to drink wine. Pass that bottle to me. I got a nickel, have you got a dime? Let's get together and get some wine. Some by fifth and some by four. When you get together, you're doing things smart. Drinking wine for you.